the second part of our worship experience. Uh, we also have childcare available for the younger kids, uh, but of course children are welcome in worship throughout the experience. All right, so uh, young people can go there, and as we do that, as we transition the young people to their experience, uh, let us join together in a time of prayer as we begin our forming time. Lord, we thank you for this opportunity that we have to worship. We thank you for this uh, cold but uh, sunny day. We thank you for the uh, hope of spring, although it's not a reality yet. Uh, We thank you for the hope of your resurrection, which is a reality. And we uh, just anticipate this coming Passion Week, and we anticipate the great 50 days, which we call Easter. We ask you now that you send your Holy Spirit upon us, that you set our hearts on fire, that you open our eyes and our minds and our ears to hear your word as you teach. Bring us to the foot of your Son, Jesus Christ. Help us walk along with him and help us truly be his disciples. We ask this in your holy name. Amen. I want to welcome you once again to New Life. I am Mark Myers, the pastor here, and we are in the second part of our worship experience, the forming time or the teaching time. I also want to welcome all of those joining us online or through our podcast. If you ever miss a sermon and would like to go back or if this is your first week here and uh, you realize, well, there were four others and maybe it would be nice to hear those, uh, you can go on to www.findnewlifeumc.org and I believe that's in your New Life Notes somewhere on the back, on the back. Uh, And you can listen to any of our sermons right off of our website, but you can also go to iTunes, go to newlifeumc, or just newlifeumc, and you can podcast or subscribe to our podcast uh, and listen to any sermons that we've preached for about the last year and a half. So, a wonderful way to do that. Tonight is the fourth and final week in our series, Beautiful One. So tonight, uh, we come to the final two of our eight Beatitudes. We've been looking at the Sermon on the Mount, chapters 5, 6, and 7 in Matthew, which is kind of a montage of Jesus' teachings. We've been looking at the first eight teachings of those three chapters, which is known as the Beatitudes. So we are at the uh, seventh and eighth Beatitude. We've looked at six of them so far. So as we look at those final two Beatitudes, and as we look at the entrance into Jerusalem story, and as we look at the crucifixion story tonight, I ask that you just enter into a time, a time of preparation, a time of willingness to learn as we sit at the feet of Jesus, we hear his words, and we join in his last days on earth. The seventh beatitude, which is found in Matthew chapter uh, 5, verse something, what is it, verse 9? I don't have it written down, it's in there. Uh, Verse 9 and 10, I believe, are the last two. Yeah, uh, verse 9. Hear these words, uh, first from the authorized version, King James, and second from the Common English Bible version we use. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called children of God. Happy are people who make peace, because they will be called God's children. Now, peace is a troublesome word, isn't it? When we think of peace, we generally think of the absence of war, the absence of conflict, going without uh, trouble in our lives. We experience peacetime as opposed to wartime. We experience peace as opposed to conflict. But as we've been looking here this last several weeks, the Hebrew and Greek shed some light on the term peace for us. And the Hebrew word for peace, anybody know it? 
So I think somebody actually said it. Shalom. Very common, well-known uh, Hebrew word. Uh, if you have Jewish friends, when they go to temple Saturday night or Saturday morning, depending on when they worship, they will often use that familiar greeting, Shabbat Shalom, peace be with you on this Sabbath. Now, peace is not merely the absence of evil things in the Hebrew tradition. Shalom peace is to make all things whole, to make all things good. So when someone wishes you peace, Shalom, peace be with you, they're actually wishing all good things for you. They're wishing you to not just go on in a content, peaceful life, but to truly have great things happen to you, to truly be uh, blessed and to be lifted up. That, that is correct, yes, yes. It, it is a back and forth between that, right. But the call of this beatitude... It's not for uh, us to just experience peace. It is for us to make peace an active reality. Jesus says we are to be peacemakers. Blessed are the peacemakers. He doesn't say blessed are the peace lovers. And all too often we are peace lovers. We love when things are going well. We love when there's no conflict. We love when we are blessed and things are going good and, and we just feel just lifted up. But Jesus says we need to take an active part in peacemaking. Not only should we try to bring peace to conflict, but more than that, we need to actively engage in the work of doing good and bringing good to the lives of others. Peacemaking is actually engaging in good work, engaging in bringing good work to other people. Now, there's an old uh, rabbinic tradition, an old Jewish tradition that dwells on what shalom really looks like and, and what it looks like in action. And this is a tradition that I believe Jesus was very familiar with. The tradition states that true peacemaking is not just doing good works, but true peacemaking is bringing people together. That that is the good that we are aspiring to, not just doing good things, but truly unifying people. Now, if you look in our world, in our nation, in television, we are very good at division. If you do not believe that, go home and watch Fox News and then immediately watch MSNBC. And you will see that we are very good at division, regardless of which one of those, if either, you like. Go read your Facebook sometime. And you will see on your news feed a lot of drama and a lot of division. Even though we pretend we are all friends, we are masters of this art of division. Even in church, we experience that. Every time something doesn't go our way, we like to leave. And, and traditionally, this plays out in denominationalism. Every time one church doesn't, or a group of people doesn't like the way one church goes, then they create a whole a whole different church. Of course, back in the day, there was only one or two, but now we have thousands and thousands of denominations every time that there's something, and some, some very good reasons, obviously, for division. But a lot of the times, it's just because we disagree on something very small. Not the intention when Jesus said, and Jesus prayed in John, I pray that they will all be one, like we are one. That was not his intent. His call to action here in this seventh beatitude is that we, regardless of our political beliefs, our affinities, 
and, and anything that we, we do or think that we may have true unity and that we may bring people together. Not tear them apart, but through Christ that we may be one. Now, the result of peacemaking is being called children of God. And if you look in the Greek, which we're doing in this particular series a lot, if you look in the Greek translation, it actually says, you will be sons of God. Blessed are the peacemakers. They shall be sons of God. And that's really important. It's not a masculine and feminine thing. It's important because in the Hebrew tradition, when you were called son of, that meant you did the work of your father. You did the work of your parents. So if you were son of Joseph, as Jesus was, he was expected to do the work of his father, in that case, carpentry. In this wonderful beatitude, Jesus says, Blessed are the peacemakers, for they are doing the work of God in heaven. They are doing the work of their father and their father's kingdom. Jesus is saying that unifying people, bringing people together, is God's work. That is the work God is calling us to do. So if we uh, put that in our own term, in our own language now, and we look at this seventh beatitude again, we can state it as this. Yeah, yes, I'm speaking of sons with an O, but yes, we are also light of the world and we can spread that to other people. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. Now, the, the, the seventh beatitude as we have it written, excuse me, because we strive to unite people, not divide them, we will be doing the very work of God. In the last week of Jesus' life, he came to Jerusalem and even though he realized that there were many people there who wanted him dead, who wanted to end his ministry, who, who did not like him very much, he decided to go into Jerusalem. And he could have gone into Jerusalem in a lot of different ways. He could have come in with an, with an army. He could have come in with intentions of war. He had the power to call a, a, a legion of angels. He had the power to just encourage men and women to pick up arms and fight for him. He had the power to come in like a king adorned with jewels, adorned with finery. He had the power to make war, to create conflict, and he did create conflict anyway. But this is how he chose. In the final week of his life on earth, he chose to come to Jerusalem, realizing there were people looking to kill him. He chose to come in peace. And this is how he did it. Let's read in, uh, we're, we're going to look at Luke tonight. Luke 19, chapter 28 through 40. I think it's on the screen, I'm not sure. After Jesus said this, he continued on ahead going up to Jerusalem. As Jesus came to Bethpage and Bethany on the Mount of Olives, he gave two disciples a task. He said, go into the village over there. When you enter it, you will find tied up there, there is a colt that no one has ever ridden. Untie it and bring it here. If someone asks, why are you untying it? Just say, the master needs it. Those who had been sent found it exactly as he had said. As they were untying the colt, the owner said to them, Why are you untying the colt? They replied, The master needs it. 
They brought it to Jesus, threw their clothes on the coat, and lifted Jesus onto it. As Jesus rode along, they spread their clothes on the road. Jesus approached the road leading down from the Mount of Olives. The whole throng of his disciples began rejoicing. They praised God with a loud voice because of the mighty things that he had seen. They said, blessings on the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest heavens. Some of the Pharisees from the crowd, looking to make conflict, said to Jesus, teacher, scold your disciple. Tell them to stop. Jesus answered, I tell you, even if they were silent, the stones would shout. So we go back to our final beatitude. We also approach the week throughout this series. We've been looking at events during the final week of Jesus' life. This was the event that started it, his entry into Jerusalem. As we finish tonight, we will look at the crucifixion. And fitting, as we do that, that the final beatitude is this. Blessed are they which are persecuted for righteousness' sake. For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. It's in the King James Version. Happy are people whose lives are harassed because they are righteous. Because the kingdom of heaven is theirs. That's in the common English. Now in the time that Jesus was speaking... In the time that Jesus lived and for many centuries afterwards, following him would come with a cost. Following Christ would come with a major and severe and possibly life-ending cost. The early followers of Jesus, followers of the way eventually called Christians, they would be isolated and outcast from the Jewish communities, the communities that they were a part of. Eventually, as the tradition grew and expanded from a small Jewish sect to a, a, a sect that reached all over the Roman Empire and into other parts of uh, uh, Asia and, and South Africa, or North Africa, the Roman Empire would take notice and start persecuting the Christians. They would seek them out, they would arrest them, they would torture them, try to get them to pay homage to Caesar try to get to them to renounce Jesus Christ, they would send them into the gladiatorial arenas, have them fed to lions, have them crucified, have them executed. Thousands, maybe tens of thousands, maybe more Christians in the first three centuries of the church were killed for proclaiming Jesus Christ as Lord. Now times have changed for us. And in our brothers and sisters in our churches in South Africa, our churches in Asia, our churches in parts of India and parts of the developing world, it is a crime to say Jesus Christ is Lord. I forget what country it's in. Do I have it written here? Yes, in Iran, excuse me. I've been hearing of the story of a pastor who has been in prison for some time for his worship of Jesus and his proclamation of the good news. So that does happen. That kind of persecution does happen. But do we suffer it? Are we harassed? Are we persecuted like the people Jesus was talking to were going to be persecuted? You know, we get, we get upset because 
somebody says we can't have a time for prayer in school or we take the Ten Commandments out of a public building. And I'm not saying those aren't valid things, but is that really the kind of persecution our forefathers and mothers in the church, the martyrs, is that the kind of persecution that they had to face? Small inconveniences. Now, have you faced persecution and and we're not going to have time to talk about it, but I want you to think, have you faced persecution for following Jesus? Now, it's interesting to me that since I've been in the process of beginning new life and starting new life with you uh, for this uh, year and a half, I've probably faced more persecution from uh, around the organization, the church, than, than from anything else, from, from the powers that be and everything else. Uh, people get a little weird when it comes around starting something new. And, and I, I can say, I guess, that uh, we've had some persecution because of it, but nothing too major. But I do believe if you truly follow Christ, that you may face persecution along the way. I've known people who, who've been true to their faith uh, and stood up for their faith at work and been harassed, even fired. I've known people who have been ridiculed by their spouses, children, extended families because they decided to follow Christ. I've known plenty of people who have been treated poorly uh, by people they once called friends. People who just don't understand. Following Jesus can lead you to some pretty unpopular decisions. And that can lead to some abuse, certainly, from those around you. That is why so many Christians practice a quiet, in private faith, like Nicodemus and Joseph of Arimathea in the gospel story, followed Jesus in secret because they didn't want to be persecuted by the rest of the Sanhedrin, the Jewish leaders. But to those who openly proclaim him and follow wherever he calls, there is an amazing promise. Jesus never says, following me will be easy. He says, if you want to follow me, pick up your cross. If you want to follow me, lose your life. If you want to follow me, sell all your possessions. Give them to the poor. Now, we, we pretend like he was just saying that to one person, which he may have been. Not sure why they wrote it down then. But Jesus' call is pretty, pretty heavy. We, we have this old adage, and, and we, it's a mistranslation or, or, or a misunderstanding of Scripture that, you know, when we follow God, God will never give us more than we can handle. And it doesn't say that in Scripture, ever, and anywhere, actually. You can go home and Google that. It's true. Often we feel like we have more than we can handle. But the promise that is made in Scripture is with God, all things are possible. And with God, all struggles are overcomable, if that's a word. Is that a word, overcomable? I don't think so. We can overcome them, the struggles. Not that they're overcomable. We are offered new life. We're offered the kingdom of heaven. And it is a present and future reality. It is, yes, a reality hereafter, after death. The, the promise of a new heaven and a new earth. The promise of a life without pain or suffering. But it is also a promise today in the midst of, because I'll tell you, whether you follow Jesus or not, not there will be suffering. Whether you follow Jesus or not, there will be pain. Whether you follow Jesus or not, life will be difficult. But with Jesus, even though you may be persecuted, you can experience 
everything you need to work through it. Not just with Christ alone, but with the community that we call the church. And we see that love in action. What's a little persecution, I guess, in the face of an eternity of joy, peace, hope, and love? So as we close our eighth beatitude and our final beatitude, let's hear it in the language now that we've used, because we follow Jesus Christ, even if we, and I want you to hear this, even if we lose everything, our hope is in the present and future reality of new life, the new life he has in store for us. Ultimately, following Jesus means being led to the cross. There's no, there's no other path. I don't know what that's looked like for your life. I know what it looked like in my life. But I know in every Christian, every person who I know truly follows Christ, it always leads you to the cross time and time again. Giving up our old life to take on new life. I'm going to end tonight, as I think it's appropriate, going into Passion Week. To read the story of the crucifixion as told by Luke, and there will be some verses, the whole scripture won't be on there, uh, and some pictures as well. Uh, I encourage you, I, I don't use the uh, least graphic pictures, so you may not want to look if you are easily upset. This week, starting tomorrow, is Palm Sunday, and then the rest of the week is Passion Sunday, and I encourage you to use those devotions and those readings to remember because all too often we, uh, we, we celebrate in the church, we celebrate Palm Sunday and we're so excited. Jesus comes into Jerusalem. Yeah, it's exciting. Hosanna, loud Hosanna. And then, um, then we come back next Sunday and it's Easter and we never have to deal with the reality of the cross. And so I like to end uh, all of my Palm experiences, Palm Saturday, I guess this is, um, I'd like to end this with this. So if you have your Bible with you, if not, you can follow along um, what's on the screen. Luke 23, we're going to look at the Gospel of Luke tonight in his account, 13 through 46. It is a lot, but I encourage you to uh, put yourself in this story and experience the cross as told by Luke. Then Pilate called together the chief priests, the rulers, and the people. He said to them, you've brought this man before me as one who is misleading the people. I've questioned him in your presence, and I found nothing of this man's conduct that provides a legal basis for the charges you have brought against him. Neither did Herod, because Herod returned him to us. He's done nothing that deserves death. Therefore, I'll have him whipped and let him go. But with one voice, they shouted away with this man. Release Barabbas to us. Jesus Barabbas had been thrown into prison because of a riot that occurred in the city and for murder. Pilate addressed them again because he wanted to release Jesus. They kept shouting, crucify him! Crucify him! For the third time, Pilate said to them, why? What wrong has he done? I found no legal basis for the death penalty in this case. Therefore, I'll have him whipped and I'll let him go. But they were adamant, shouting their demand that Jesus be crucified. Their voices won out. Pilate issued his decision to grant their request. He released the one they asked for, who had been thrown into prison because of riot and murder. But he handed Jesus over to their will. As Jesus was led away, they grabbed Simon, a man from Cyrene, who was coming in from the countryside. 
They put the cross on his back and made him carry it behind Jesus. A huge crowd of people followed him, including women who were mourning and wailing for him. Jesus turned to the women and said, Daughters of Jerusalem, don't cry for me. Rather, cry for yourself and your children. The time will come when they will say, Happy are those who are unable to become pregnant, the wombs that will never give birth, the breasts that will never nurse a child. Then they will say to the mountains, Fall on us, and to the hills, cover us. If they do these things when the tree is green, what will happen when it is dry? They also led two other criminals to be executed with Jesus. When they arrived at the place called the skull, they crucified him, along with criminals, one on his right and the other on his left. Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they don't know what they're doing. The soldiers drew lots as a way of dividing up his clothing. The people were standing around watching, but the leader sneered at him, saying, He saved others. Let him save himself if he's really the Christ sent from God, the chosen one. The soldiers also mocked him. They came up to him offering him sour wine and saying, if you really are king of the Jews, save yourself. Above his head was a notice of a formal charge against him. It read, this is, G uh, this is king of the Jews. One of the criminals hanging next to Jesus insulted him. Aren't you the Christ? Save yourself and us. Responding, the other criminals spoke harshly. Don't you fear God? Seeing that you've also been sentenced to die, we are rightly condemned, for we are receiving the appropriate sentence for what we did. But this man has done nothing wrong. Then he said to Jesus, Remember me when you come into your kingdom. Jesus replied, I assure you that today you will be with me in paradise. It was about noon, and darkness covered the whole earth until about three o'clock. Well, the sun stopped shining. Then the curtain in the sanctuary tore down the middle, and crying out in a loud voice, Jesus said, Father, into your hands I entrust my life. He said this, and he breathed for the last time. Let us pray. Lord, we remember your journey from glorious entrance to humiliating death. We ask now that you Truly show us the way to God the Father through you, the Son, through the cross. That through this week we may truly experience death to ourselves, death to our old lives, that we may take on what is new. New life today and always. We ask that you keep us now, that we remember this in our hearts, and that we prepare ourselves for your triumphant return. In these things we pray.
Amen. Thank you. Let us now transition to the third part of our worship experience, the forwarding time. Uh, as we do, uh, we will collect our offering for the night. Uh, encourage you to uh, support New Life however you can. Uh, we are a new faith community, so uh, any gifts are graciously received, uh, and we uh, thank you for them. Uh, just make sure that you keep up with everything that's going on. Jeff had plenty of announcements. I want to make sure that you're involved in that uh, as much as possible. Uh, make sure that you uh, send us, if you uh, haven't, uh, email addresses. If you're interested in being on a prayer chain, you can uh, get in contact with us. Uh, if you want to be signed up for our newsletter, make sure you fill out the pew pads. Uh, we also have uh, the connection cards. You can put those in the offering um, uh, baskets or give that to me uh, just so that we can connect with you in a better way. I want to make sure that you are informed about what is going on. So with that in mind, let us uh, join together in prayer as we pray for uh, those in our world and we pray for those around us uh, and we will enter into now our forwarding time. Lord, once again, we thank you and praise your name for the many gifts that we have. And as we give those gifts back to you, whatever they may be, we ask that you just use them to glorify you in all things, that you build up your church, that you build up this community and truly help us experience new life as we share new life with others. Lord, we ask that you be with all of those who need your love, all of those we've been praying for, all of those who are on our hearts. We just thank you for all of those who are here tonight, and we ask that you be with all those who cannot be here. We ask that you be with all of those who lead, whether they lead in our world, in our government, whether they lead at home, whether they lead in the workplace whether they lead in ways they don't recognize. We ask that you be with all people who are leaders, that you help them truly lead our world towards your kingdom. We ask that you truly be with all those who serve, our men and women overseas, those at home, firefighters, our police officers, those who are emergency workers, those in health care, those in food service, those who are out working in our yards and streets, those who keep us safe, those who serve us in ways we neglect, those who serve in our church, those who make this event possible every week. Help us serve them and help us become servant leaders in all that we do. Lord, we ask that you truly help us become disciples of your Son, Jesus Christ, that we may be disciples who make disciples, we may be people of new life who offer new life to others. We may be transformed, that we may bring transformation to our world and community. Therefore, we ask that you be with your church. Be with your one holy apostolic church. Be with your church here at New Life. Build us up. Unify us. And help us forever go into your kingdom. We pray these things in your holy name. Amen.